Well, good morning. We ready to have some fun? So one of the things that you may not know is that 365 days ago, I got to stand up here on January 1st, and then today, December 31st, I'm getting to stand up here, so I am officially the biggest bookends that you've ever seen in your life. You are welcome. You saw something cool today. So, um, man, I, I'm, I'm grateful. My name's Weston. I'm one of our student pastors, and uh, I think God has something really cool for us today. And so I want to I jump into that. Um, 2017 was full of a lot of stuff, and 2018 is going to be a, a good year. But I thought it would be good for us if we, um, especially seeing this video, I love this video, um, we, we can exhaust ourselves trying to become a better version of us, right? Like, there are so many things on my list that when 2018 knocks on our door tomorrow morning, when some of us wake up at 8.30 or 9.30 or 10.30, however late you're going to stay up tonight, eight hours past that, um, that we want to just get right, right? Like, we want to just get it right. Like, this is the year, like they were saying, that it is going to happen, that I'm going to get it right. And so I thought for us... It would be good for us, uh, the last day of the year, before we go do our New Year's Eve festivities, um, to try to consider a statement. And that statement is this, okay? If, you, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, put it in your phone, whatever. The statement is this. We say it a lot. God is good. God is good. I would venture to say that if I were to take a poll in this room and ask you to raise your hand, if you really believe that God was good, is good, most of us would say that we really do believe that God is good. But if you're like me, you've spent a lot of your life saying the words God is good and maybe not considering the gravity of those words. And I think a lot of times we miss out as human beings on the meanings of words these days. Maybe... Uh, words just roll off of our tongue, and we're so easily um, out of our, our mind, and, and we barely have time to consider the gravity in which their content entails. Words that are so familiar to us that they would barely draw any interest out of us because we're so used to saying them. And so this, this thing, God is good. Let me, let me say it like this. I, I, I call a lot of things good. Like, my beautiful wife is good, y'all. Like, good, okay? But chicken nuggets from McDonald's are also good, okay? A ribeye steak is also good. 2017, the Houston Astros were very good. And the Houston Texans, never mind. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, so I had to give that to you real quick. So let's talk about Jesus now. Everybody calm down. Surely, surely all of these can't be the same type of good. Sometimes we say things and we may miss out on the meaning because they roll off of our tongue a lot. When we, when we think about the phrase God is good, we should be filled with wonder and amazement and gratitude and, and humility, love, or to capture the feeling in, the, in, in a, a word that I really think captures it all is the three-letter word that's on the front of your program this morning that we're going to talk about. All. I want to talk about a problem that we may have. I'm not going to speak for you. I'll just speak for myself. 
If you're like me, you have tended to live day after day without any sense of wonder or awe whatsoever. Yeah, we have these moments, right? We have these moments where we would say that we are in awe of things, but when it comes to the day-to-day, right, like the things that we're going to get right in 2018, they're not lived out in the, in the big aha moments. They're lived out in the day-to-day, step-by-step. If you're like me, there are many days that I wake up and I just don't have awe in anything whatsoever. We walk through situations and locations, and a lot of times we miss out on the overwhelming sense of gratitude that we really should have. And we're going to talk about where that should be steered here in a little bit, but I want to talk about what we usually see. Here's what we... Sorry, I'm not going to speak for you. Here's what I usually see. Busy schedule. What's the next thing? Well, I, got, I got stuff at home I've got to get done. I've got stuff here at the harbor I've got to get done. Maybe for you it's like, why doesn't that person like me? Right? Like, what is it about me that just doesn't jive well with them? Maybe for you students it's, that classmate is really mean. Maybe you have a a boss that's hard for you to get along with. If you live in any vicinity of Houston, you have said this, what in the world is up with this traffic for the love of everything? Maybe it's the the Instagram or social media that you don't think that you can live without. Maybe we're living vicariously through other people and we have yet to realize that God wants to do great things in and through us. Big one in 2000. 17 and then going into 2018, a big one for everybody is maybe it was the weight I didn't mean to gain that I'm going to try to lose next year. Or maybe on more of a heart level, maybe it's the dreams that we would see slipping through our fingers. Because the plan that I'm living out is not the plan that I pictured I was going to see myself living out. This is why we don't notice the glory that is on display around us, that points us, that was put there to point us to the truly glorious one, the holiness and the glory of God. For humans, the road between, between awe and complaining is a very short road. It is razor thin. You and I were created to live in the shadow of all. We were meant to live with hearts that are searching, that are hungry, and out of this hunger, being satisfied by the only one that can truly satisfy every desire that I have. Bad things happen when we as human beings lose our sense of awe. Bad things happen when we have no wonder inside of us. Bad things happen when we are no longer amazed, or to put it this way, bad things happen when nothing impresses us anymore. When we look around us and go, I've seen that, I've done that, what else do you got? When sin takes away our all, the sense of divine wonder that was meant to shape every person's life, when that is gone, then we will fill it with something else. We will fill the void with something else. Now now think about it. If you're not going to get your sense of wonder and awe from the creator, then you will try to get it from creation. That is a guarantee. Many of us know what that is like 
me included. When we lose wonder and amazement from him, then we will try to find it in the things around us, and it'll sneak up on us. So let me start this by saying, your friends cannot give you the all that you were created to receive. Though a, a gift from God, right? Let me say it this way, and I don't have children, and so I'm not going to insult you and, and think I know what it's like to raise a child, but what I can tell you is this. Your children will not fulfill you the way God is supposed to fulfill you. They're an incredible gift of God, but they can't do what he does. The new restaurant that you think is going to blow you away, the new movie that you have to go see, Jumanji, whatever it is right now. <laughs> All these things, though good, were put in our lives for a purpose. And that is to point a finger to the one that is the giver of good gifts. And man, are we looking, right? Many of us know what it's like to run around aimlessly and tired because we are looking for something good, pure, imperishable, unending, unfailing satisfaction in all. And the reason for that is because you and I were wired that way. We were wired to live in the shadows of all, that it would pull us out of the boredom that we find ourselves in sometimes, that it would quiet our longings. But God is good, right? Let me tell you why God is good. I'm going to say a few statements. I want you to think through them, okay? Because here's what we see from Scripture and know why God is good. He is good in righteousness. He is good in power. He is good in grace. He's good in faithfulness. He's good in mercy. He's good in holiness. He's good in his justice. He's good in his rule. All of his words are good and they are true. All of his actions, they are good and they are right. When he preserves life, he is so good. And here's a hard one to hear, but when he takes life, he is just as good. When his words are easy for us to hear, man, they are good words. But when they are hard for us to hear, they're just as good for us. His promises are good, his provision is good, his plan is good. This is why God is good. In all of the universe, you can only say that about one thing. Everything else is flawed. Nothing in creation is like him. Even before the fall, when God created everything and he's, he looked at it and he said it was good, there was nothing in creation that was as good as him. And after the fall, now... Sin makes us blind to the glory of God because we live without this sense of wonder and amazement because of our day-to-day -day lives. And so I want to approach this issue, and I want to ask a question, okay? How do we live in awe? It's a pretty simple question. How do we, as human beings, as, as sinful creation... Live with a sense of awe and wonder. And I thought the best place for us to go is to look at Scripture. Always a good answer, right? I want to look at two stories. So if you have a Bible and you're going to read out of your Bible this morning, you can, you can go ahead and start turning to 2 Samuel chapter 9. But I, I, want to, I want to talk about a story from the Old Testament, and then I want to talk about a story from the New Testament. 
And what I hope to see and what I hope that God will show us is that these human beings, when encountered with the love and grace and mercy of God, knew what it was to live in awe for a specific reason. And we're going to get to that reason. So 2 Samuel chapter 9, I'm going to read and then we're going to stop and talk and we're going to do that a lot this morning, okay? Verse 1. One day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. All right, look at me because I need to set this up for us. David has just taken over as the king of Israel after King Saul. And what we know from scripture is that in David and Saul's history, there was this rivalry between them and they did not like each other very much. There was a lot of jealousy. Saul tried on many attempts to try and kill David and he was unsuccessful. It was in God's plan that David would take over reign of Israel one day. And the ironic thing about their relationship is that Saul had a son named Jonathan. And Jonathan and David were best friends. I mean, you would put salt on a wound, right? They were best friends. In fact, Scripture would say they were closest brothers. And Jonathan and David, because of their friendship, because of their relationship, there's this Scripture in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 20, you can write that down and go look at it later, where David makes an oath to Jonathan. And he lets him know that when he becomes king, that he will make sure that all of his offspring are taken care of. And so we, we get to the point in the story where David has taken over as king, and he's going to pay up on the promise that he made to Jonathan to show the kindness of God. And that's why he's asking the question, to whom can I show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Verse 2, he summoned a man named Ziba, who had been, in, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. In Lo-Debar, Ziba told him. This word, Lo-Debar. If you were to translate this word into its original language, you would see that it means not having or no pasture. Lodabar was a place that forgotten people were sent to to go and live out their days and eventually die. And in Lodabar, you would find a certain uh, classification of people, people that for some reason had um, different ailments or things about them that would force them to not be a regular member of society. These were the outcasts, the scorn, people that we would have a hard time letting our children see if we were out in public. They would be just another government statistic. This is where we find Jonathan's son, and his name is a big, long name, so I'm going to attempt to say it, and there's probably four different ways to say it, but this is how I know how to say it. Mephibosheth. Verse 5. So David sent for him and brought him from Micaiah's home. This is where he was living. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. So David finds out who this man is, where he is, and he sends his men, who have just conquered everything and taken over the throne, 
to get this crippled man named Mophibosheth. And the Bible says that they bring him to the king and they lay him at the feet of the king. And scripture says, when he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. And David said, and this is kind of comical to me, greetings, Mophibosheth. <laughs> hey, <laughs> right? Like Mephibosheth knew who David was. Maybe, maybe just maybe, I mean, the cultural standard would say that, that David was bringing Mephibosheth to the palace because he was the only living male left from Saul's era. And so it would be smart if David wanted to preserve the king, the kingdom, to kill Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth knows that he has no chance because he's a crippled dude. He can't walk, he can't run, and so his only chance is to bow low in deep respect and hope and pray to God that David doesn't do what he thinks he's going to do. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. What, what did Mephibosheth have to offer to David? He didn't have anything. He couldn't do things. He was in the line of Saul. How dare him look at the king and say, just let me be a servant. Please don't kill me. I want you to see something here, okay? When we read scripture, though scripture was not um, written directly to us, it is written directly for us. And I need you to see yourself in this story. We are Mephibosheth. This is us. The king who is now reigning has every right to call our number, bring us to the palace, and give us what we deserve. This is us. But that's not what David's going to do. Verse 7. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of the promise, because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And you, read this, underline it, whatever you do in your Bible. And you will eat here with me at the king's table. It would have been so much mercy for David to look at Mephibosheth and say, you know what, just, just go back to Lodabar. So much mercy. And honestly, if it were me, that would have been good enough for me. If I was in Mephibosheth's shoes and I was brought before the king having nothing to offer... If he said, you know what, just go back to where you came from, I would go, thank you, God. Don't kill me. Just, just let me go waste away where I was at Micaiah's house. That's not what David did. He calls him to the table, and he says this. Now look at me and hear this from God. I want you here. I want you here. I think it's so cool. There, like, there's so much deep meaning behind sitting at a table with somebody. Some of the, some of the most meaningful, um, deep conversations I have ever had with people where we have talked about Christ, where we have had life-altering conversations has happened around a table when we're sharing a meal. There is something symbolic and special about the king telling Mephibosheth, not only am I going to let you live, not only am I going to give you the land that your granddad owned, 
But I want you here at my table. What he is saying, and what he is saying to us, is that I care deeply about you. I don't just care that you're going to live. I don't just care that you're set up for success. I want to have a conversation with you, and I want you to sit at my table, and I want to get to know you. This is us. Write this down. Mephibosheth's hope was that David would allow him to live, but the king's heart was to place Mephibosheth at the table. The hope is that David just wouldn't kill him, but the heart of the king would say, no, that's not, that's not good enough. You have a spot at my table. And Mephibosheth was in awe. And the reason that we know he was in awe is because we read in verse 8. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? I wonder how many of us can relate to Mephibosheth right now. How many of us would beg God, just, just let me in? I'll stand in the corner. I'll do what you say. I am, I am your servant when the heart of God is to say, I want you at my table. Not only that you would have this promise of heaven, which is a really good thing, but just as important, I want deep community and abundant life for you now. Abundant life being this relationship where you and I, we sit and we talk, and we get to know one another, and I get to know your heart. Not because you earned it. Not because you are good enough to sit where Mephibosheth was sitting that day. But because the heart of God is to show kindness and mercy to us. Mephibosheth responded rightly that day to God. Many years later, a man named Jesus would be born. We just celebrated that. We just celebrated Emmanuel, God come to earth. And he came to fulfill the scriptures that God had said he was going to send a Messiah to the earth to save his people. And Jesus did just that, but he did not do it in the way that people thought he was going to do it. You see, the Jews believed that when the Messiah came, that he was going to set up this kingdom that was going to overthrow the Roman government, and it was going to wipe everybody out, and that it was going to be an everlasting king who would never die, and he was going to reign in Israel, and they were going to prosper from it on this earth, and it would never have to worry again. But what we see out of Jesus is that he comes as a servant, and he has three years of public ministry where we see the power of God on display through him. Like blind people are receiving sight. I don't know if that's happened around you, but I would pass out if I saw it. Okay? Lame people are walking. People who were sick, that stuff's just falling off and they're walking off like nothing was wrong. This is what Jesus is doing. The power of God is flowing through him in such a way that people who have been, um, they have been under ailments for years are walking away healed. But make no mistake about it. All of that paled in comparison to what Jesus did in people's hearts. In fact, Jesus would say 
At some points in his ministry, what good is it that you can walk if you don't love me? One of my favorite stories of this, because I think this story relates to us very well, is a story about a man named Zacchaeus. It's in Luke chapter 19. Now, on purpose, we're not going to read together Luke chapter 19 today, but I want to summarize that story for you. Jesus is in the midst of his public ministry, and he's, he's gaining popularity. And he's walking through town, and people are coming to see what this cat Jesus is doing. Because they're hearing things like people who were blind are walking away seeing. People who couldn't walk are walking away walking. People want to see it. And not only that, but people who have those same ailments want to come to this dude who can hopefully save them, who can hopefully heal them. And then you have this man named Zacchaeus who's in the crowd that day, and he finds his way up to the road. And we all know Zacchaeus if he grew up in, in church or VBS because he was a what? A wee little man. Yeah, and he, he climbed up in a sycamore tree. Says Zacchaeus was there, and he gets in a tree. But I want you to understand something. Zacchaeus was an evil, evil person. Okay? Zacchaeus was a tax collector. There's no modern-day equivalent that I can relate to you. Here's what Zacchaeus did. He purchased the right from the Roman government who was in control, who was persecuting the Jewish people, to tax those people, and they would take care of him. So he would walk into our homes. He would knock on the door. He'd walk in. He would say, I need 90% of your income, and then I need another 5% or something of those sorts because I need to get paid too. 90% is going to Caesar, and then I'm going to take whatever's left. And then he would walk out, and that money would go back to the government that was coming back in and pillaging and killing the same village. He would walk in, take your money, give it to them. They would come back stronger, better, faster, and they would demolish everything if you wouldn't bow to Caesar. This is who Zacchaeus was, and he was very successful at what he did. Scripture tells us that he was a very good thief. He's collected a lot of money for the Roman government. Very dishonest. So I can imagine that day that when Zacchaeus is walking through the crowd, he didn't come with many friends that weren't like him. And for some reason, he wants to see this man named Jesus. And Jesus is walking through the crowd... And there are people all around him. And surely he was going to pick somebody else. Like surely he was going to pick somebody who was, who was crippled laying on the ground. But no, he sees this dude named Zacchaeus in a tree. And we know from scripture in Luke chapter 19 that he says, you. You, the guy who's not, who's not crippled. He got in a tree who doesn't physically have anything. You, I got, I got me and you. And we don't know how the conversation that, that day went. We know that Zacchaeus got out of the tree, and we know how he responded to Jesus. And I want to read that for us. Verse 8 in Luke chapter 19 says this. And Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. In verse 10, for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus cares far more about our heart. Okay? 
Can you imagine being Zacchaeus that day? Knowing who you were. It's not too good to be true. There really is a God who is the creator and sustainer of all things, who is the sum and definition of everything that is good, everything that is true, everything that is loving, and he is not only good, but he chooses to place his goodness on sinful, dirty people like us, not because we deserve it in any way, but simply because he is a good, gracious, loving, kind, caring father. Think about it, the one who is the sum and definition of these things. That is a big deal. That will, that will change us in 2018. Mephibosheth knew this. Zacchaeus knew this because when they came face to face with this kind of holiness, with this kind of love, they responded rightly to God because they knew who they were. And they knew that he wasn't supposed to do this. But he did. Awe happens when we see ourselves rightly in view of the holiness of God. Jesus, this baby who came to earth, God with us, came to earth. He lived a perfect life, yet he died a criminal's death. He died death's penalty so that forever, for whoever would surrender their life to him would not perish, would not get what they deserve, would have abundant and everlasting life. Let that soak in this morning. He, scripture says he became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Blameless, spotless, seated at the table of the king. All happens when we see our sin for what it really is and know that God still did what he did. And so this morning, I thought we would um, reflect on this in, in a little bit of a different way. And so I'm going to invite my friends Mark and Sarah back up here. And they're going to sing for us a song that is, is very dear to my heart because it introduced me to the story of Mephibosheth. And here's what I'm asking us to do. I'm asking that we would just stay seated and that we would reflect on the goodness of God. That we would reflect on the fact that he did what he did even, even when he knew who we were. And that hopefully all would come over us in knowing that there is a God whose desire is to show kindness and goodness to you. Let's pray. Father, as we sit here in these moments, as we read these words on this screen, God, I pray that we would be in awe of the gift that you have given us, that we would be in awe of the gift of salvation, that in the midst of our sin, God, you still want us to sit at your table, not because of anything we did, but because of everything you are.
when we truly see that the one who is the sum and definition of all that is good has placed his goodness on you and I. I want to give you a challenge as you step into 2018. We didn't read Luke 19 on purpose because I want you to read the story of Zacchaeus. In fact, it would do you well do all of us well to read 2 Samuel chapter 9 and, and Luke chapter 19. Some point in the next week and reflect on the goodness of God. And listen, here, here's the deal. I know, I know that 2017 for some of us hurt. But the promise for those of us who surrender our life to Jesus is that he is our prize. there is nothing that can't be overshadowed by the love of God. If you were to look up all, you would see a definition that looks something like this. It's a feeling of respect that is mixed with fear and wonder. I want to invite you back next Sunday as we celebrate 20 years as a church. Because we are celebrating and we are in awe of the fact that God would use people like us to accomplish his purpose. That his desire is that we would dine with him at the table so that he could flow through us, just like he did through Jesus when he walked this earth. So I hope that you will come and that you will join us. But most of all, I hope that as you step into 2018 tomorrow, that you would be in awe of a God who loves you more than you can ever understand. Let me pray for us and we're going to be dismissed. Father, I pray that as we wake up tomorrow in 2018, that we would know that you, the great and mighty God, that you have shown us grace, that you have shown us mercy, and that you have shown us deep love. That you have offered us a spot at your table. And I pray that we would, in everything that we do and everything that we say this year, would be in awe and wonder of the fact that you love and save sinners like us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Happy New Year, guys.